0: As we continue in our series, So This Is Christmas, one of the things that we have to be careful about is we're always talking about the gift of Jesus on Christmas. But can I tell you something? This gift comes with a responsibility. I literally just had this thought while I was on stage. I didn't mention this the first service, so they're going to feel like they got cheated, but they can go back and watch it. They can get this. One year, my son, his teacher gave him a gift. She gave him a fish. Now, let me tell you the problem with the fish. The fish was a gift to him, but it was a responsibility for me. I had to go buy a tank. I had to go buy a pump. Let me tell you all something. This fish lasted two weeks. I was so ticked. But here's what you have to understand. That the gift of Jesus also comes as a responsibility. It's not just a gift to hold. If you accept the gift, there's work to be done. I'm reading in Luke 2. There's a notes page online. Go to the notes page. All of this is there. But I'm reading on Luke 2, starting in verse 8. It reads this way. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. God, I come to you right now. God, I ask you to guard my heart, guard my mind. Holy Spirit, you lead, I'll follow. God, you say what needs to be said, you do what needs to be done. We're still totally relying on you. God, we'll give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. It's in Christ's name. I pray to agree. said, Amen. Um, so many of you have heard my, my theories on gift giving uh, this time of year and how uh, my sister over here, she got a birthday, but she told me her husband gives her birthday and Christmas gifts because you got a good man and he loves the Lord. Hallelujah. People who don't do that, they ain't saved yet. Um, but here's here's my real issue with gifts. This is one of the things that I I, I can't wrap gifts very well. Actually, I'm God awful at it. Um, you ever heard people say God awful? What does that mean? I'm devil awful at it. OK, there we go. But I, I, I'm not good because, and here's why. I don't want to be good at wrapping gifts. You know why? Because I think it's stupid. All right? I don't get it. Why am I going to put in all this work to make something pretty that you're going to destroy? Like, I, I, I don't get it. I was like, oh, it's so cute. And then you give it to the kid. They'd be like, great. All my work down the drain. So I don't put in any effort. But, but here's what I realized, though. Somebody told me, like, well, the, the packaging makes the gift look appealing. And I'm like, who cares? And let me tell you why. Um, I have my family. We used to do these things where we would have gift exchanges and people would put, you know, wrap their gift, put it on the table. Here's what I found out. Oftentimes, the prettiest gift was the worst gift. Like it had the prettiest packaging. They put all their thought and their time into the paper and they did not think about the gift itself. So here's what I began to realize. Like everybody, you're a kid. You're like, ooh, that looks good. It's big and it's pretty. So you always go for that gift. You'll have a box like yay big and it's a pair of socks. You feel stupid. But what I began to realize as I got older is to stop looking at the packaging that was on the table. And I began to ask, well, who bought what package on the table? See, here's what I realized. That the gift Forget the paper. That's a distraction. Who bought the gift? let me know if it's a good gift or not. See, I had this one uncle in particular. He don't know how to do anything regular. You say this is a $25 gift limit. His ego and his, I'm sorry, honk, his ego and his pride won't let him stop at 25. 25? <laughs> what are you going to buy a bar of soap? That's the way he thinks. So I know that his gift is valuable. But it's not valuable because the packaging is valuable because of who bought it. See, the reason I tell you that is so oftentimes we talk about life being a gift. We get distracted by the packaging. It don't look as good as we would like. It don't feel as good as we would like. But let me help you out. If there's something from God, don't get distracted by the packaging. There's something better on the inside. Let let, let me show you something. See, here's the thing, because that's our normal nature. What we see at times distracts us because usually if I see a problem, I feel a problem. Then it has an effect on how I see things. But if we're in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God works opposite the way the earth system works. See, scripture says, for we walk by faith and not by sight, which means that what I see is not what God may be saying. The problem is sometimes we get so caught up in what we see that we can no longer hear what he has to say. So we're like, hey, it has to look a certain way, but understand what you see is fool's gold. I have a friend who works in politics and what he told me, he says, and he's worked with several people who want to be want to run for president. And he says, what you do is the first time you get a candidate who is believable to run for president. The very first thing you got to do is get them security. Not because people want to kill them. For some reason, when we see people with security, we think secret service. We assume presidential. So what we see is telling us, hey, they can do the job. What he'll tell you is everybody with security don't need to be doing the job. You just because you want to run for president, you mean need to sit down. There's no about nothing about politics. That's not political. It's not politics. We're not being politics in here. I'm just telling the truth. Let me help you out. If you ever see me want to run for president, although many of y'all know, my okay, I'm going to give y'all a gift. My legal name is Roosevelt Ford III. That's my legal name. Sounds presidential. Don't mean I should run. (laughs) But what could happen is what I see, it looks, it makes sense. It seems like it goes with it. But if you understand that looks can be deceiving and what God has for you. What you're looking at may really be a distraction. Can I I be honest with you? Like when I think about the Christmas story, like have y'all ever really thought about this? Like, you know, I do a little bit of marketing stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, like what what gets people's attention? (laughs) Hear me. I'd be like, God, what were you thinking? Like, come on, be real. If, If the goal was to make as many people follow Jesus as possible, why don't you put him like in a palace? You know, we love people in power. You know, if you really want us to believe him, you know, you could have gave him like the good hospital. You could have gave him good parents from the big place. They could have had esteem. You know what? If you really wanted us to follow him, God, you know, why didn't you just give him a better platform? Why do you send the angels downtown and tell everybody about how great Jesus is? Because to us, we like then that makes it worth it. If we see that now, it's believable. Can I help you? That appeals to my flesh. And God is not trying to win my flesh. He's trying to get my heart. So when he looks at when you look at how he positioned this whole story, who he used, he's very intentional in that he wants you to worship the message of Jesus and not get so enamored with the messengers. This is why some people, when the pastor messes up, their whole faith goes down the drain. Because we get so caught up on who's delivering the message. Our hope and our joy is in who's talking. I don't care who it is. I don't belong to be up here. There's nothing more special about me than this lady right here. God has got just as much a call on your life as me. And if we understand and be careful that we are not worshiping the messenger and missing the message. That is what God is trying to get us to. See, that's maturity. See, the scripture says, don't copy the behaviors of this world. Let me transform the way you think. Which means then that maybe the way I'm thinking is not the way that God thinks. I, I know I like me. I think I'm the smartest person here. So surely, of course, God think like I think. He's God, I'm not. And God will not share his attention with anybody. So God can do something to appease me or I can trust him enough to say that don't look right. But my God is right. Let me show you something. When you go back to this story, the scripture says there's some shepherds. They hanging out in the field. They watching the sheep late at night. All of a sudden angels pop up. Glory to God in highest unknowable peace, all that stuff. And they're like, oh, the angel said that? Cool, cool, cool. And then they go to Bethlehem and they see Jesus lying in a horse trough. And they're like, man, that's a Messiah right there. Hallelujah. And they go back and they tell everybody, praise the Lord. We think that is great. But don't miss what's really happening here. See, I don't know about you. Any ladies in here want to marry a shepherd? Like, think about it. We, we, like literally. Okay, so I grew up in a Christian home. We couldn't celebrate Halloween. So every Halloween we would have hallelujah nights. And everybody's a shepherd at Hallelujah Night. You put on a bathrobe, you tie it up, put a towel on your head with a belt, you're now a shepherd. And so now we assume, ooh, shepherds, that's great. But can I put it in the context of this story? These shepherds were what you call outcasts. These shepherds were not thought very high of. See, people assume that if you were a shepherd, you were basically a loser in life. The only thing you could do is go out in a field where nobody wants to go and watch stanky, smelly sheep. So to sit here, they listen. Let me tell you how bad it was. They would say that shepherds are so dumb that they couldn't even give a testimony in court because they didn't understand the language. They've been positioned as outcasts. They've been looked down by society. And the people who have been looked down on and have been thought the least about, that's who God sends the message to first. The reason I tell you that is because don't look at what God wanted to do through them, because some of us, we find ourselves where people are said, we're not smart enough. We're not good enough. I'm not saved enough. I'm the wrong gender. I'm the wrong this. I'm the wrong that. And everything that they say makes us wrong is what God wants to use to make it right in the world. So I don't care where you're from. I'm from Alabama. You're lucky I can string together a sentence correctly. Yet God still chooses to use my country backward self for his glory because you know it's got to be him and not me. When we get to the place where we're saying, God, I, I know what they say, and who they see me, where you are in life, it does not dictate how God wants to use you in this life. This temporary place you find yourself has no bearing on how God sees you in eternity. And if you understand that even though they say, who cares what they say? What does he say? Because help me out. You own something. (laughs) Loving it. Understand what usually disqualifies me with man is the platform that God chooses usually to use. See, here's the thing, though. Here's where it got me. The scripture says the angels show up. And the first thing when they see the angels, the angel says, fear not. Can I show you something? Whether it be Mary, whether it be Zechariah, oftentimes whenever God chooses to show up and speak, our default response is fear. If it's truly from God, it's probably going to scare you. Let me tell you something, because oftentimes when we know what God is telling us and God is speaking to us, it usually is going to cause a little bit of anxiety. It's going to cause doubt. Like, God, are you sure? Because this is what I see. God, you want me to leave this, this, this job. I, I, I see my bank account. I can't leave this job, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, you want me to end this relationship? God, it's almost a holidays. Who's going to go to mama's house without a date? What is wrong with you? Because the idea of him asking me usually causes me to say, wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. But let me help you out. Usually fear precedes faith. The question is, are you going to stay there or move to the next space? The very place where he gets them, every time he shows up, angel shows up, the first thing he speaks to is fear not. Notice, he didn't say, this is what I want you to do. No, God speaks to you right where you are because he's concerned about where you are now so he can move you to the next place. So before I tell you what I want you to do, can you trust me enough to stop being so scared? Just the appearance of God causes people to be like, oh, okay, okay. now what? Because let me show you something. Scripture I came across last night, it says, I did not reject you, but I chose you. Now, the idea that he was already like to be chosen, because we like to say some people were lost. Have you ever thought about he came to seek and save the lost? If something is lost, there was ownership before. So you can't lose what wasn't already on. And so the idea that even when you were lost in your head, Jesus was still seeking you should also cause a little bit of comfort. But he says, I did not reject you. I chose you. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. The idea that I'm going to ask you to do something, I'm going to ask you to go to a place, but I'm not sending you alone. I'm with you. See, here was so beautiful. The angels say all this stuff to the shepherds, and the shepherds hear all that, and they're like, okay, the angel said, there's a baby in a horse trough in Bethlehem who is a savior. Okay. Can you understand what faith requires? You still got to move. It's one thing to hear that, it's a whole different thing to trust it. Do you realize how outlandish this sounded? But do you understand something? The scripture says they went to Bethlehem. Do you know what that entails? They had to leave where they were. They went to Bethlehem and they had to lead a the sheep. They went to Bethlehem to see what God had for them and run the risk of losing their security. Oftentimes what God is asking us to do, we can't go where God is telling us to go because we're trying to bring everything to it. It would have been so much easier if God had said, you know what, I'm gonna just drop, you know, you're all out here anyway. He ain't got a house. Let me just drop him off in this field. That would make it easier. He said, no, no, can you trust me enough to leave where you are to go and see what I have for you? Can can you trust enough? Because the scripture at the end says they went back to their flocks. That means they had to go trust where he was going to be there. Oh, he's there. But God is still taking care of what I left behind. Let me help you out. If God asks you to leave something, it's his responsibility to take care of it or you didn't need it. No way. Because they have to trust him. Enough to say, I know what I heard. This is why it is very dangerous to hear a sermon and say it sounds good and you do nothing with it. When God tells you to do something, He says, do not be hearers only, but doers. And oftentimes, to do what God is going to ask you to do is going to mean that you're going to have to move from the place that you currently are. You're going to have to move towards some folks and ask for forgiveness. But our fear is. What if they reject me? He don't care if you reject you. He told you to move. See, this is why I noticed this. He gave this to the shepherds. He didn't give it to the church folk. He didn't give it to political leaders because they got too much intelligence to trust what God says. Yet he gave it to people who would simply do what he told them to do. It's simple obedience and simple movement. See, the scripture says, I bring you good news that will bring joy to all people. The joy wasn't just for them, it was for everybody. Oftentimes, we want to get blessed. But here's the question. You want God to give a blessing to you. The question is, can God give a blessing through you? If you can come on, James. If God were to put something in you, do you stop? the flow of what God is doing with just yourself or would it bless others? I bring you good tidings of great joy for all people. There is no blessing that God is handing out that is just for you. If there is something that is coming from God, it's bigger than you, it's greater than you and it's called to go further than you could ever imagine or think. See, the scripture says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. Okay, so that means they had to leave where they are, put they all into going at the risk of losing something else. But scripture says that without faith it's impossible to please God. See, oftentimes this time of year, we always talk about the gift we're getting. Can I ask you a question? What's the gift you're giving Jesus? What's the gift that you're giving God this year? Like, I know God giving us Jesus. Cool. It's a gift exchange. What gift are you giving him? Do you understand that he's giving you a gift, but the gift comes with some responsibilities? See, when the shepherds left, it says they told everybody about what they had seen. They told everybody about what they had experienced. You know who they told? They told people who was going to listen to him and people who weren't going to listen to him. They told other shepherds who know them and folks who thought they were too stupid to be used by God. They told everybody because if you have a real encounter with Jesus, you just want more and more people to get that same encounter that you really had. <laughs> Hosea 6 says, I want your constant love, not your animal sacrifices. I'd rather have my people know me than burn offers to me. He said, I want you to love me enough to do what I'm asking you to do. But can I show something to you that was very interesting? We always talk about the three wise men, and I'll get to that another time. But do you notice that these shepherds didn't bring a gift? They didn't didn't bring any gift. He told them to go, and they went empty handed because that's all he's asking. But can I tell you, they probably brought the greatest gift of all? They brought themselves. They brought themselves just as they are a mess and said, I'm going to trust God enough to come see you. Even though I don't know you want me to come and believe that there's a baby here. I'm going to trust you enough to do the thing that don't seem right because I trust you. I ain't got a lot of money. I ain't got a lot of skills. All I got is myself. Do you understand that for thousands and thousands of years, God has written out a Christmas list time and time again and the only thing at the top of his list has been you. Not just seasonal. Oh, we need the season. This season's going to change. Let me help you out. Do you need a seasonal Savior or do you need a Savior all year long? So the responsibility that you receive on Christmas still has to have an effect on New Year's Day. And if we understand that, you say, I ain't got enough. All he's asking is for you. Flaws and all.